0: Listening to the Michael Anthony Bible Teaching Podcast. You can enjoy more messages like this and more with the free Courage Matters app available in your App Store. To invite Michael to speak to your group, visit Couragematters.com and click on the Your Story tab. Hold on to your seat and open your heart as Mike teaches us from God's Word. It is time to make God's vision, mission, and values the number one priority in your life. That's what time it is. And that's why we're going through this series, Vision for Life, where we are discovering God's vision, mission, and the five core values for every single life, every single family, every single church. Now what we're going to do today is we're going to expand a little bit more on the value that we've been talking about most recently. We've already talked about simplicity. We've talked about the movement of the Spirit of God. We've talked about God moving powerfully in our midst. And now we're talking about relationships, the value of relationships relationships super important and where are we going to turn to understand this value of relationships mark chapter 12 turn with me in our father's word to mark chapter 12 beginning in verse 28 one of the scribes came up and heard them disputing with one another and seeing that he jesus answered them well asked him which commandment is the most important of all Jesus answered, the most important is, hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. And you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind and with all your strength. The second is this, you shall agape. (laughs) You shall unconditionally love your neighbor as yourself. There's no other commandment greater than these. And the scribe said to him, You're right, teacher, you have truly said that he is one, and there's no other besides him. And to unconditionally love him with all the heart and with all the understanding, with all the strength, and to unconditionally love one's neighbor as oneself is much more than all whole burnt offerings and sacrifices." And when Jesus saw that he answered wisely, he said to him, you're not far from the kingdom of God. And after that, no one dared to ask him any more questions. You see, the scribe was trying to catch Jesus, trying to trip him up. He really wasn't interested in learning. He was interested in trying to trip Jesus up. And that's why the scripture passage ends by saying, after that, no one tried to ask him any more questions. They've had enough. Jesus has that way of turning the tables on anybody who would try to trip him up. And he still has a great way of doing that in our lives as well. He has a way of taking us from where we are to where he wants us to be. And that's what's going to happen in your life and in mine for the remainder of our time. God's going to take you on a crash course, mini journey from where you are to where God wants you to be. And by the time we're done, you're not going to be the same person. It's very clear that what Jesus says here is that there is really one commandment manifest in two ways. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength. The word that's used there is the same root for agape. Many of us, if we've been followers of Jesus Christ for any length of time, know that that's the word used for love that refers to unconditional love. There are different words that could have been used in the original Greek language because it's very expressive, kind of like dinner at an Italian family on Sunday afternoon. But the word that's used there, the root that's used consistently here in Mark chapter 12 is the unconditional word, the, the word that the root is agape. We are to unconditionally love God. God with the heart, soul, mind, and strength. We are to unconditionally love our neighbor as ourselves. Now, what's significant about this is that Jesus says there are two commandments from Deuteronomy chapter six, verse four and five, and Leviticus nineteen eighteen, and they're one. And in one fell swoop, he says it's not possible to love God without loving your neighbor. We could say that the way we love our neighbor is the clearest reflection of our true and authentic love for God, one way or the other, for better or for worse. And so let me ask you this question. Do you desire to do great things with your life for God? Just by show of hands, do you desire to do great things with your life for God? Now let's ask that question again, but now I I I want to define the word great for some of us we might think well great means famous no I didn't say famous if I meant famous I would have said famous great does not mean famous I'm defining great as significant eternally significant valuable things now since I define great that way let's ask that question again how many of us by show of hands want to do great things for God. Now I'm going to ask you to translate the raising of your hand to the raising of your voice. And I'm going to ask that question again, and then you're going to have an opportunity to shout out, yes, I do. When I ask the question, would you like to do great things with your life, instead of raising your hand, you're going to raise your voice and say, yes, I do. You ready to do it? You ready? How many of you would like to do great things with your life for God? Yes, Congratulate yourselves. We're getting outside the comfort zone and following the Lord with greater and greater passion. See, we are beginning to understand what it means to love the Lord our God with all our heart, with all our soul, with all our mind, and with all our strength. And in this particular easy situation, this easy case, with our voices as well. Turn with me now to 1 Corinthians in chapter 12, verse 27, because the question is how do we do great things for God? How do we do great things for God? Did you know that you can do great things for God? You can do great things for God. You can do great things for God. In fact, It's not just a matter of you being able to do it. You will be able to do great things for God. Great things for God. You. Whether they're famous or nobody this side of eternity, outside of the throne and presence of God, gets to see them, that's not the issue. The issue is that you, and I definitely mean you, can do and will be able to do, to an even greater degree, great things for God. And here's how it's going to happen. 1 Corinthians chapter 12, beginning in verse 27, he's talking about the body of Christ in general, and he's talking about individual members of it. If you've given your life to Jesus Christ as your Savior and God, you realize that Jesus Christ died on the cross for the forgiveness of your sins. And you realize it not just at a mental level, but at a heart level, and at a life surrender level, where you have given your life to Jesus Christ as your Lord, your God, and your Master. And you realize that what Jesus did on the cross was for you. Should have been you up on that cross. Should have been me up on that cross. But it couldn't have been you up on that cross. Couldn't have been me up on that cross because you can't clean a dirty table with a filthy rag. You've got a sin problem. I've got a sin problem. Jesus didn't. And that's why Jesus could pay the price that you couldn't pay and I couldn't pay when you give your life to Jesus Christ in that way and you say I surrender to you even though none of us understands what surrender is all about the moment we first do it it takes a lifetime to begin to understand that but when you accept that Jesus Christ is God's uniquely brought forth sacrifice for the forgiveness of your sins and mine and that God became flesh that Jesus is God and you give your life to Jesus and you accept the gift that God gave you through his sacrifice you are individually a member of the body of Christ, the church around the world. And so Paul is talking to you. Now you're the body of Christ and individually members of it. Verse 28, And God has appointed in the church first apostles, second prophets, third teachers, then miracles or miracle workers, then gifts of healing, helping, administrating, and various kinds of tongues or languages. Are all apostles, are all prophets, are all teachers? Do all work miracles? Do all possess gifts of healing? Do all speak with tongues or languages? Do all interpret but earnestly desire the higher gifts? And I will show you a still more excellent way. Paul is talking about greatness. Paul is talking about how you are going to learn to do great things for the glory of God, what you bought into in the beginning of our time. You said you wanted to do great things with your life. You can do great things with your life. Great things for the glory of God. You can do great things with your life for the glory of God. You can do great great things with your life for the glory of God. You can. Right. And this is what Paul is helping us understand. He's going to show us the most excellent way, the way to do great things with your life individually for the glory of God, the way, and the ways in which we do great things with our lives for the glory of God and our families and in the body of Christ. And with that, we roll up our sleeves, we sit back, and we take a a moment to brace ourselves for 1 Corinthians 13, the chapter that we think we understand, and yet we really don't. Look with me at 1 Corinthians 13. He ended chapter 12 by saying, but earnestly desire the higher gifts and I will show you a still more excellent way. 1 Corinthians 13, one, if I speak in the languages or the tongues of men and of angels but have not love, I'm a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. And if I have prophetic powers, that's the ability to declare or to proclaim divine truth. I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith so as to remove mountains but have not love, I am nothing. If I give away all I have, if I'm a philanthropist, and if I deliver up my body to be burned, if I'm a martyr, but have not love, unconditional love, I gain nothing. Unconditional love is patient and kind. Unconditional love does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. Unconditional love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Unconditional love never ends. As for prophecies, they will pass away. As for tongues or the ability to speak in other languages, they will cease. As for knowledge, it will pass away. For we know in part and we prophesy in part. But when the perfect comes, the partial will pass away. When I was a child, I spoke like a child. I thought like a child. I reasoned like a child. When I became a man, I gave up childish ways. Have you given up childish ways? as a follower of Jesus Christ. You see, what Paul is talking about here is the evidence of spiritual maturity. How do you know whether or not you're growing and you're maturing in your walk with with Christ? How do you know whether or not you're growing and maturing in your walk with Christ? By how you're growing in your unconditional love for God and your unconditional love for people. That's how you know, it's not rocket science. We can tell our love for God and our growth spiritually, our maturity, very clearly, by our unconditional love for people. When we're childish, when we're children, we don't understand things that adults understand. I remember, for instance, when my parents were arguing when I was a young boy and I couldn't understand why they were arguing. What could be so serious for my parents to be arguing? I was happy. I had food. I had a roof over my head, had toys to play with. What in the world could upset my parents to lead them to the point of arguing? And now, as I've grown older and have my own family, I understand the pressures of life. Don't you understand the pressures of life? You understand how financial problems and health problems and interpersonal problems can vex you and distract you distract me from God's vision and mission and prime value in our lives. To love the Lord our God with all our heart, all our soul, all our mind and all our strength and to unconditionally love our neighbor as ourselves. How easy it is, isn't it, to distract us with far lesser temporal, insignificant Childish things. That's why Paul says, When I was a child, I spoke like a child, I thought like a child, I reasoned like a child. He did what immature children do. But when I became a man I gave up childish ways, and then he says in 1 Corinthians thirteen, twelve For now we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face, now I know in part, then I shall know fully, talking about the return of Jesus Christ, even as I have been fully known. So now faith, hope, and love abide, these three. But the greatest of these is unconditional love. And then he says in chapter 14, verse 1, pursue love and earnestly desire the spiritual gifts especially that you prophesy. And then he expounds more in chapter 14, as Paul does so well, and he helps us understand why the gift of prophecy would be significant. Why would we want to pursue that? Why would we want to pursue spiritual gifts? And the idea that Paul presents, and he makes very clear, the reason why the gift of tongues is not the greatest of the gifts, but the least of the gifts, is because when somebody speaks in an angelic tongue, supernaturally enabled tongue, they're edifying themselves. And people have debated, well, is that really what Paul's doing or is he talking about hyperbole or is he really talking about a gift supernaturally enabled of a non-human angelic tongue? And the answer is for another time. Others say that, no, it's just a naturally a natural language with supernatural enablement. And you see that exercised in the book of Acts where they heard them declaring the glories of God in their own languages. And Paul says different types of tongues. Others have speculated that Paul's not talking about either or he's talking about both and. There's the supernaturally enabled ability to speak a previously unknown human language for the purpose of declaring the glory of God. And there's also the ability to speak in the supernatural enablement of a non-earthly language, your prayer language. But what people don't seem to understand is what Paul understood very clearly. And this is where we get off and we chase rabbit trails. The point of what Paul is presenting here is that we're not to be enamored with the gift. We are to be in love with the gift giver. And the reason why he says, especially the gift of prophecy, because when somebody declares the revelation of God, declares the word of God en masse to a group of people, guess who benefits? Not an individual, but all of the people. And the purpose of your spiritual gift and my spiritual gift, whether you have one spiritual gift or more, the purpose of every single one of your spiritual gifts is not to edify yourself. Don't go to a party and eat all the cake by yourself. The purpose of your spiritual gift or gifts and my spiritual gift or gifts is to give them away, to build up other people, to encourage so that the body, so that your family, so that other people that you interact with are built up and can see this Jesus who now we follow by faith, not by sight. That's what Paul... Is trying to help us understand. And that's why he says love must be the engine. It must be the fuel. It must be the fire. It's the coal in the furnace that activates your spiritual gifts and mine. Without love, it doesn't matter if you can perform miraculous signs and wonders, gifts of healing. The Apostle Paul is not speaking out of a hat. He's not speaking theoretically here. This is the guy of whom it's written in the book of Acts that they would place handkerchiefs on him. They would actually place handkerchiefs on the Apostle Paul. I don't know what size they were, but they would put handkerchiefs on the Apostle Paul, take them off, And then lay those handkerchiefs on sick people, and the sick people would be cured. They would be healed. So, Paul knew a thing or two about miraculous power and gifts of healing. He knew about that. He knew a thing about prophecy and divine revelation from God. If you read his writings, he talks about receiving amazing revelations from God, things that a mere mortal is not permitted to talk about. He knew about those things, and yet it's Paul who tells us without love, those things are annoying noises. They get people into discussions about spiritual gifts without focusing on our part to exercise them in love, that gets people into theological debates and rabbit trails. If you don't believe me, go on the internet and see how people in the irony of ironies can debate this very passage of Scripture and call people some very unloving names and conduct themselves in very unloving ways all in the discussion of spiritual gifts in the context of the love passage. Isn't that ironic? Aren't you thankful that you don't fall into that at any time? See, what Paul is trying to help us understand is that you and Vincent Van Gogh have a lot more in common than you realize. You and Leonardo da Vinci have a lot more in common than you realize. You and Michelangelo have a lot more in common than you might realize. You and Ayn Rand and Ernest Hemingway and Mark Twain have a lot more in common than you might realize. You and Beethoven, you and Vivaldi, you and the Beatles, your favorite band, you have a lot more in common than you might otherwise realize because all of those famous individuals and those famous people were known for masterpieces. Whether it's in the musical realm, in music, or whether it's in writing and literature or in art through painting and sculpting, they are known for creating something called a magnum opus. A magnum opus is the culminating crowning achievement in art, or in literature, or in music. That's what a magnum opus is. And the truth of the matter is that while these individuals worked in the mediums of pen and paper with typewriters and ink and maybe computers, paint, and with chisels and hammers and granite, sculpting, and with instruments, guitar or drums, Those were the mediums that they used to create their magnum opus. You and I are painting and sculpting and playing with the mediums of our mouths and their hands and our very lives. And at the end of our lives, we will have created each and every one of us our own magnum opus. Your magnum opus is your life. It is your life's work. It is what you have been working on up to this point with the things that you've been saying and the things you've been thinking and the things that you've been doing with your hands and the places you've been going with your feet. It's the culmination of your life's greatest achievement, which is your life. See, you are an artist working with the medium of your words, in your hands, and your life, and your thoughts. You are creating what will one day be, for better or worse, your magnum opus. Everything in your life and everything in mine, working strategically, one way or another, culminating and building to the crescendo of your legacy. What have you been working on in your individual life? What have you been prioritizing in your family? What have we been working on and prioritizing within the body of Christ? You know, it's amazing what Paul says here in 1 Corinthians 13. Look what he says in verses 1, beginning in verse 1. If I speak with the tongues of men and angels but have not love, I'm a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. And if I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith, so as to remove mountains but have not love, hmm, I'm nothing. So as to remove mountains. You know, if we took a trip to South Dakota, we would see a spectacle that's quite a rarity. We would see... A mountain in grandeur, an amazing mountain created by the finger of God, the voice of God who spoke it into existence. But this particular mountain is unusual. It's not just one that was created by God. It was shaped by man. I'm talking about Mount Rushmore National Monument, you know, this particular one with George Washington and Thomas Jefferson and Theodore Roosevelt and Abraham Lincoln. It's a masterpiece. It is the magnum opus of a Danish American sculptor by the name of John Goodson Borglum, a Danish American sculptor who worked on that thing for 14 years. He was the primary sculptor. His son assisted him and many consider Mount Rushmore National Monument to be John's magnum opus, a crowning achievement of his life. Did you know that he spent two years sculpting Thomas Jefferson, and at the end of that two year time period, he blew him up, and he started over again. Crowding achievement, to this day it's a marvel. People come from all over the world to go see Mount Rushmore National Monument created by he and his son. People come from all over the world to see that spectacle. You might be in a position in your life where you're saying, I wish someone had told me what God's vision and mission and value Of unconditional love for him and unconditional love for people was at a much earlier time because I've done things with my life that haven't quite built a reputable, good, wonderful magnum opus. I haven't invested the use of my mouth toward that objective. I haven't used my hands toward that objective I haven't been very loving toward God or people apart from in my mind thinking that I'm loving him but my mouth betraying me my hands betraying me my use of money betraying me my use of time betraying me you might say I've wasted a good deal of time why bother I'll tell you why you should bother did you know that the creator of Mount Rushmore National Monument began that project when he was 60 years old? He was 60 years old when he began sculpting Mount Rushmore. 60 years old, and he didn't let that two-year effort working on Thomas Jefferson make him throw in the towel and say, well, forget it. What if he had given up? What if you give up? And God's vision and mission and that value of loving God unconditionally with your life, with all of your heart, all of your soul, all of your mind, all of your strength, and loving your neighbor as yourself. Yes, you've done foolish things with your life. Yes, you've wasted your time. Yes, I've wasted my time. I've done foolish things with my life. I've used my money, God's money that he gave to me inappropriately, incorrectly, and so have you. The list goes on and on and on and on and on. But take a lesson from the sculptor of Mount Rushmore. It's never too late to begin working on your magnum opus. And your magnum opus is to love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength, and to unconditionally love your neighbor as yourself. Your magnum opus is to make that happen in your family. Your magnum opus is to make that happen in the church, the body of Christ. I don't care whatever else we achieve, if we miss that, our magnum opus pales by comparison because Jesus says, The greatest of all the commandments is to love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength, and to demonstrate that love by unconditionally loving your neighbor as yourself. There is no commandment in all of the commandments greater than God's vision, God's mission, God's value of loving him and loving people. All of the Bible is about relationships. Have you realized that? See, by now you should be asking yourself a couple of questions. Number one, I encourage you to ask yourself, am I really a person who's characterized by unconditionally loving God and unconditionally loving people? Am I characterized that way? Ask yourself this question, what am I known for? What is my reputation? And if you really want to get serious about it, some of you might really want to get serious about this. Maybe most of us might really want to get serious about this in our individual lives and in our families and in the body of Christ. If you really want to get serious about this and you really want to have some accountability that moves you forward, some accountability that moves you forward, ask someone closest to you who knows you well and don't shoot the messenger when they give you an honest answer. Ask them, would you say that I'm characteristically known as a loving person? Ask them, what would you say is my reputation? And be willing to receive from them an honest answer otherwise, don't ask it. And be thankful to Almighty God that they're there in your life to give you the truth so that you can do what? Get busy with God's vision, God's mission, and the greatest value in your life, the greatest value in your family, The greatest value in the body of Christ, the greatest value of all the values, which is to love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength, and to unconditionally love your neighbor as yourself. There is no commandment greater than those. And we should be asking at this point, well, What are some ways that I can develop into a more unconditionally loving person toward God and toward people? How do I do that? I don't want to just know that it's important to do that. Do you just want to know that it's important to do that? Or wouldn't you like to know how that can be developed? Isn't that what's important? That we not only know that it's important to love, but we know how to cultivate God's vision and His mission and the prioritization of unconditional love for God and unconditional love for people. And we're going to find that answer in 2 Timothy chapter three. Turn with me to 2 Timothy chapter three. In 2 Timothy chapter three, beginning in verse 16, one of the most famous passages of scripture, which will do you and me absolutely no good whatsoever if we're not willing to submit to the word of God with the same conviction that we say we believe this to be true. 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16, All scriptures breathed out by God, God breathed, and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be competent, equipped for every good work. What I meant when I said it doesn't do us any good unless we submit to the Word of God is this. All Scripture is breathed out by God. God breathed. You can have a personal word from God. I can have a personal word from God that is practical and powerful anytime we want, Every time we want, not subjective, not if, not if maybe, not perhaps, but every single time you want a personal, practical word from God, you can have it right here, courtesy of the Bible. All Scripture is God-breathed, breathed out by God. See, the Bible is ancient, but it's not archaic. It's ancient And it stood the test of time because it is the most practical book you'll ever read. The whole Bible from Genesis to Revelation is about love, loving God and loving people. That makes the Bible the premier, one-of-a-kind, uniquely brought forth book about relationships. This is the handbook for life. This provides the answers on how you should love your neighbor as yourself, how I should love my neighbor as myself, how you should conduct your family, how you should conduct yourself in the body of Christ, how we're supposed to conduct ourselves at the workplace, in secret. Did you know who you are in secret is who you really are? The truth of the matter is that none of us lives a secret life, and I'm not talking about the NSA or the CIA, I'm not talking about modern surveillance. Every single one of us lives our lives in absolute clarity before God. He sees everything. There's no such thing as a secret life. It's secret, humanly speaking, but God knows the truth. Who you are in secret is who you really are. And it absolutely is possible in secret as well as in public to love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your strength, all your heart, all your soul, all your strength, all your mind. It's possible. You can do great things for God. You can do great things for God. You can do great things for God. See, there's no point in us having the Word of God, this God-breathed book, the Scriptures, the Bible, if we don't then read the Bible in the right way. See, we should be reading the Bible frequently, and we should be reading the Bible in the right way. There are a million wrong ways to read the Bible. When I was in college, I made the mistake, in one sense… Turned out to be an opportunity to share Christ with a lot of people, but I made the mistake of taking a Bible as literature class. Don't get me wrong, the Bible is literature, the best ever written, but it's not just literature. It says right here, it's God-breathed. There's no other book on the planet that is God-breathed. But believing that won't change your life and it won't change mine if we don't treat the Bible as the God-breathed, unique, one-of-a-kind book that it actually is. You and I have to read the Bible and read it often and submit to the teachings of the Bible because that is the way that we submit to God. Did you realize that? If you don't understand what the Bible says, you're not submitting to God. You're not even able to submit to God. We submit to God. I submit to God. By submitting to the Word of God, this God-breathed book, the Bible. Notice what Paul says here. All Scripture is breathed out by God, profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness. Look at that. For reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness. How do you know if you're reading the Bible the right way and not the wrong way? How do you know? I'm going to tell you. Actually, the Word of God just told us. All scriptures breathed out by God profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness. When you are reading the Bible correctly, individually or in your family or in the church, when we're reading the Bible correctly, there should be reproofs in there. There should be correction in there. We're, we're reading the Bible about something, and all of a sudden it seems like it comes out of left field, but it's not from left field. It's from the Holy Spirit working through this God-breathed book, you Begin to think about a person and something you said that you shouldn't have said. You begin to think about thoughts and the way you're thinking and you shouldn't be thinking. You begin to think about your use of money, the way you're using it, and it's not being used properly. You begin to think about your use of time. God is in a great business of blindsiding us, not because he likes to catch us off guard, but because we need our lives to be straightened out. We need reproof. We need correction. We need what would otherwise be crooked, to be straightened out. And you and I should be so thankful that God so loved the world that he gave his one-of-a-kind, uniquely brought forth Son, that whoever would believe in him would not perish but have eternal life, and that God so loved the world. Last time I checked, you were in it, so was I that he gave his one of a kind uniquely brought forth book breathed out by none other than himself to keep you from becoming what you otherwise would become to keep me from becoming what i would otherwise not become and to help you and to help me become what god wants us to become, to live in line with your created image, being created in the image, the likeness of Almighty God. That's how much God loves you. He would give you 66 books from Genesis to Revelation, all scripture. God breathed every single passage, every single word, every single verse breathed out by God you can have a personal word from God as often as you're willing to tolerate it practical powerful transforming keep a Bible by your bedside which translation the best translation of the Bible is the one you read Keep it by your bedside. Read it the first thing in the morning. Read it last thing at night before you go to bed and you will begin to memorize passages of Scripture without even trying to memorize them. But you've got to read the Bible as the God-breathed book that it is. Begin treating the Bible as the God-breathed book that it is. Pay attention. Listen to what's being said. Listen in your car. There's many ways that you can listen to the Bible while you're driving in your car. Get a whole new experience. Pay attention while you're reading. Let it sink into you. And God, by his grace and his power, that word will marinate. Your heart will marinate in that word. Your mind will marinate in that word. And the word of God will begin to come out of you. It's a good thing when you're reading the Bible and you get reproved. It's a good thing when you're reading the Bible and you get corrected. It's a good thing when you're reading the Bible and you get convicted. That's from God so that you don't do what you otherwise would do and diminish what you said you wanted to do. Giving great glory to God with your life. Secondly, I want you to take a look with me at Galatians chapter 5. Galatians chapter 5, how do we make unconditional love for God, unconditional love for our neighbor, the growing reality? How does it turn from just being a vision and just marching orders and just a value to a growing vision and mission and reality in our individual lives and in our families and in the church? Remember... This truth that's found in Galatians chapter 5, verse 14. For the whole law, this is the apostle Paul, the teacher of teachers, the super apostle, the Pharisee of Pharisees. This is him talking about the Old Testament, of which he was an expert. He says, for the whole law is fulfilled in one word. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength. No, that's not what he wrote. Just a minute, did you... Have a brain lapse here, Paul? Mr. Super Apostle, Mr. Familiar with the Old Testament, Mr. Pharisee of Pharisees? Deuteronomy 6 5. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength. Jesus. When we looked at it, Mark chapter 12. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, strength, and soul. You know, sometimes we learn things from the passages of Scripture by what's not there. Paul's being intentional. All Scriptures God breathed, that would include Galatians, without error. And Paul was led by the Spirit of God to actually pen these words, part of his magnum opus, for the whole law is fulfilled in one word, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. The whole law is fulfilled in loving your neighbor as yourself. And in one fell swoop, Paul helps you and he helps me understand how practical it is to love God. When we are really loving God the way he requires that we love him. When we really speak God's love language. Did you know that God has a love language? It's how we treat people. In order to really love God, we must really get serious with unconditionally loving people. That's how it happens. You must always keep at the forefront of every day of your life, every moment of every day, the reality of what life is all about. It's not about most of the things that we allow ourselves to get distracted with. It's not. God's vision for your life, his vision for your family, his vision for our family, the church, his vision for my family, my life, this church, is that we love the Lord our God with all our heart, with all our soul, with all our mind, with all our strength, and that we love our neighbor as ourselves. All of the Bible is about that. It's the original handbook for interpersonal human relationships. To make that a reality, never forget what life is about. And finally, look with me at 2 Corinthians chapter 5, beginning in verse 9. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, beginning in verse 9. We're going to look at verses 9 and 10. So, whether we are at home or away, whether we're here on earth or whether we're in the presence of the Lord, we make it our aim to please Him, speaking of God. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ so that each one may receive what is due for what he has done in the body, whether good or evil. Now in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, beginning in verse 11, Paul is talking similarly about this very same thing, this very same issue, the judgment seat of Christ. There are two judgments spoken of in the scripture, ultimate judgments, in addition to judgments that we might receive in this world with the disciplinary hand of God. In the book of Revelation, chapter 20, it talks about the great white throne judgment. And what that judgment is all about is people, whether or not they've given their lives to Christ, and you're judged at that great white throne judgment. Those who have accepted Christ go on to... The second judgment, the judgment seat of Christ, those who have rejected Christ go into the second death, the eternal fire, permanent separation from God. That's spoken of in Revelation chapter 20 and beginning in verse 11. But here Paul is talking about the judgment seat of Christ. It's the idea of appearing before a court where there's a judge sitting on this seat, the judgment seat. And this time it's not a human judge, it's the Lord himself, Jesus Christ. And in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, the idea is presented very clearly that there is rewards. Here Paul alludes to it in chapter 5 where he talks about it again. Rewards, we will receive from the Lord. It's not a judgment of salvation or damnation, it's a judgment of receiving gifts from God for the way you created your magnum opus. In order to prioritize God's vision and mission and this value of loving relationships, unconditional love for God, unconditional love for people, you and I must never forget that there is a day coming when we will each individually appear before the judgment seat of Christ. That day's coming. It's more certain than tomorrow morning in order to develop a deepening, growing, abiding love for God, in order to speak God's love language, which is to unconditionally love people the way you want people to love you. We must always remember that one day we will appear, individual members of the body of Christ, we will all appear before the judgment seat of Christ and then the artist of artists, the writer of writers, the sculptor of sculptors, the musician of musicians, God himself will judge the body of our work. See, you can do great things for God. You can do great things for God. You can do great things for the glory of God. Right now, you're in the process of creating your magnum opus. Loving the Lord our God with all our heart, with all our soul, with all our mind, and all our strength, by loving unconditionally our neighbor as ourself. There is no commandment greater than these. You've been listening to the Michael Anthony Bible Teaching Podcast. We'd love to hear how this message impacted you. To share your story, visit CourageMatters.com and click on the Your Story tab. If you enjoyed this message, you'll love Michael Anthony's Courage Matters podcast, where he focuses on leadership, relationships, and world events. To learn more, visit CourageMatters.com. In the meantime, keep looking up. There's no place else worth looking.